Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Oh, yes. She's ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You switched it. You were over there before. Wow. Okay. Hey. So I was so excited. I was so excited about uh, you guys going through the book of Matthew long term. That is so beautiful. Just walking with Jesus. How great. And then I was so excited to wonder which passage was I going to get like, mm, like Sermon on the Mount. Come on. Especially Matthew, because it has all the speeches of Jesus. I'm like, which sermon am I going to get? And then I got my passage and it was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to thank the leadership for saving that one for me so I could really tackle one and but here's, here's, where I'm, uh, here's what I'm convinced of. This passage is all about the Holy Spirit and all about forgiveness. And what I know about when the Holy Spirit leads me to ask for forgiveness, it's because of his kindness. So although this can be a really intimidating passage for a lot of people and even a fear-inducing one, I want to tell you this. It's God's kindness that leads us to like bear everything that we've ever done wrong ever with him. He's so kind. And I learned this from an intern of mine. I had an intern for a season. Her name was Faith. Good start, right? You're going to get an intern, find like joy or faith or something like that. And I found Faith. (laughs) And so we're having this little devotional. We're in the book of Luke and she and I are studying the book of Luke, and we come across Mary's Magnificat, the moment when Mary, the mother of Jesus, finds out she's going to like bear God's son, and her explosive moment of praise, and right in the middle of it, and she's like, she's praising God, praising God, and then she's like, you scatter the proud. That's part of her like worship. You scatter the proud. And I look over, and Faith is crying, and I'm like, Faith, you okay? She like looks up, and she's like, he scatters the proud. I'm like, yeah. She goes, he's so kind. And I was like, what? Scatters the proud. Aw. <laughs> How kind. And I didn't quite, I couldn't put those two things together. So I was like this, go on. <laughs> she did. She's like, he's so kind. He didn't want me to even go like another day in my pride anymore like my self-absorption, how often I think about myself and how great or awful, both are kind of the same struggle, I am. She goes, he loves me so much and he's so kind and his tone even is kind. Do you know this about our God? Sometimes we take our parental, our parents, and we take how their tone was and we just place it on God. So when it comes to like our mistakes, some of us hear God like this. You know the mom look, right? You know, you know. And the lower they get, the more they mean it. You know. And I thought God's tone was like that too when it comes to passages like this about forgiveness or repentance. It's kind of like I could stand up here and I would think God's tone's like this. You know that sin stuff you have? You know the stuff you do in the dark that's really shameful? Stop. Stop it. And I kind of felt that tone. And what I'm finding from scriptures, that's not his tone at all. That's not his voice at all. That tone is the one that our minds have that say that we have to fix that stuff that's going wrong with us on our own. And so it becomes self-righteousness. And then we try to fix it on our own and we feel shame and guilt and fear. That's not how 
how the Holy Spirit leads us. He leads us like this. I love you. And I don't want you to have to feel as alone as you do. And I don't want you to have to struggle alone anymore because I love you and I love you. And I actually am going to, I'm predestined to form you more into the likeness of Jesus. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job is he wants to take all the things that are going on in your life. And he's like, and I want to grow you through all of them. I'm going to use all the things and I love you. And I'm kind enough to bring up the things. Do you sense the tone? You have to get the tone because otherwise we read this passage and it sounds so off. Hear his tone. His tone is never arms crossed. I just picture when it comes to forgiveness, his tone was on a cross, which looks a whole lot more like this, where he's like this, come on, my kid. And when you realize how loved you are in the midst of your darkest stuff, when you realize the power and transformational power of forgiveness, (laughs) here's what happens. You begin to want to interact with God and like search your heart and find anything that's not perfect because you want to you find that type of transformation everywhere because you can and it's only by his spirit that will get you there. Do you see the difference? Confession's not like this. No, it's like this. <laughs> you still love me? You still accept me because I am in Christ? And then you walk away more free from people's opinions of you because you already have the opinion of the one whose opinion matters most. Wow. So are you ready for God's word today? You want to hear a word from him? Perfect. Matthew chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If not, good news, I can read. And if you can read, you can even read along on the screens. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're headed. And it says this. I'm feeling spicy right now, and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe because I get to say the word blasphemy in this message. Here we go. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man. Yikes. Sometimes I like move on real quickly on these moments versus like considering what that would look like. Yikes not just demon-possessed, he was blind and mute. In other words, couldn't see, couldn't speak. And Jesus healed him. She's like, this is just kind of like a one-off, and then you just keep reading. Which, let me just say this. God can heal you too. And it's almost as like simple as this moment. Like, if if we were reading your story in here and you really struggled in this very specific way, and you know, and it's possible that just a comma later can go, and Jesus healed him. Do you believe that for you? I believe it for you if you don't believe it for yourself. Because I've seen it in the lives of people, lives of people that they have these addictions that feel impossible to break. And I want to tell you, he could just heal him. And that could be your testimony. I hope you don't ever walk into church and underestimate the power of our living God who wants to bring the kingdom on earth. And this is what the kingdom is like. People who are blinded by themselves or blind in any capacity, specifically spiritually, that they can't see the truth. He wants to, the kingdom comes and suddenly the blind can see. Or the people who feel intimidated to speak, anyone, social anxiety, anyone? (laughs) Not now, my girl, my girl. Not this real, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll repent of that statement. Yeah, for sure. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Here we go. So, that he could both talk and see. Now, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So people are seeing the kingdom. They're seeing blind people seeing. They're seeing lame people walking. They're seeing miracles and they're wondering, could this be the Messiah? This is where you know the spirit of God is working because there's a lot of stuff that the spirit does, right? One of them is he reveals the Messiah or he makes truth come alive. What are other things that the Holy Spirit does? Oh, I'm so sorry. This would mean talk to me. Okay. That I just, I should have clarified. I'm so sorry. I'm new here. So here we go. Teaches. He teaches comforts. Yeah. What else? 
Counts. Oh, that's a good one. Counselor. Yeah, I love that. Me too. Okay, so he teaches. He cut. Oh, oops. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that one. Don't say that one. Um, did you catch some of the first ones? Uh, comforts. I think we like that one. He also reveals. Yes, because in Romans chapter eight, it says that he's praying for us, every part of us, and he wants to use all the things that he does, and he wants to reveal the thing. It's kind of like Jesus is the light of the world. The light reveals, like you can't hide anything in the dark. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Wow. But then she got to one that I didn't like as much, which was this. He corrects. He lets us see. He convicts us of our sin, which always kind of makes me laugh when, I mean, we were just literally singing a song about like, fill me with the Holy Spirit, which yes, what we want when we sing that one is fill me with comfort and peace and make me feel better. But the truth is if he comes in all his glory, you're going to be really aware of the safe, of all the ways that you fall short. Come Holy Spirit, but come Holy Spirit. If really the freedom of bringing that and his kindness is leading us there to meet us and to find forgiveness in our time of need, come Holy Spirit with all that you bring. But again, he does do all the things. So people are wondering, the movement of the spirit is on. But when the Pharisees heard this, they respond differently. They said, it is only by Beelzebub that the prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons. So instead of giving God the credit, he now is putting demons into the story. This is the Pharisees. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, your people, drive them out? So then they will be your judges, but, If it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house? Now, this is going to be the reference. The strong man in this moment he's referencing is actually the devil. So again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, here we get to the the two verses we're going to focus on. Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This passage is famous because of the unforgivable sin that it mentions. But before we look at that sin, I want to look at, first of all, the forgivable sins. Second, the power of forgiveness. And then thirdly, we'll look at the unforgivable sins. So let's start with the forgivable sins. Go back, verse 31. Let's see. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. It's really tempting to overlook the first half of verses 31 and 32 because you could be consumed with the second half of it. Let's focus on the first half for a moment. What this is saying that every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven is this, that God is fully willing and capable and absolutely and infinitely able to forgive for all sins is what it says. He wants to forgive. There's nothing he's not willing to forgive, and we can put ourselves outside God's power to forgive, is the way that Tim Keller puts it. 
we can put ourselves outside God's power to forgive. And, and some of you are going, wait, 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 I don't think I like the sound of that. Wait, are you, are you saying that there's something God can't do? How dare you, right? Let me push you on this. There are things all throughout scripture that let us know there are things that God can and will not do. Hebrews chapter six, verse 18, God cannot lie. Malachi 3, 6, God cannot change. Psalm 89, 34, God cannot and will not break a promise. And I love the promises in scripture. If you want to get a hold of those, just one Google search away from realizing, do you need wisdom in your life? James chapter one, just ask for it. And he's just going to give it to you without finding fault. Oh, take him up on that one. That's a good one. Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek to find him, you won't be disappointed. You will find what you're looking for. If you seek to find inspiration in church, you might walk away disappointed today because we're going to be a little bit more serious. <laughs> but if you're looking to find God in church this morning, you will not be disappointed. Why? Because he promises to be found by you. That's why he says it again in verse 14. He repeats himself. He wants to be found by you this morning. Psalm 51, 17, he cannot despise a broken heart. Jeremiah 31, 3. How about this one? It says that God can't stop loving you. God wants to forgive. And so let's take a moment and look at the power of forgiveness because I believe it's people's thoughts and beliefs about forgiveness that affect when they hear the gospel, whether or not anything changes. The people, some people hear the gospel, agree with the gospel, like the gospel, maybe even pray a prayer about the gospel and then are unchanged by it. And then there's people that come with nothing, hear the gospel, and then everything begins to change. Just like all the paperwork says out there from this church, everything begins to change. What's the difference? The difference is your view on forgiveness. See, because I think what we tend to do is we think that forgiveness comes easy and it's light when it should be shocking. I mean, everywhere where you see forgiveness in the Bible, it's this like really intense and sometimes even longer journey than we like. I mean, think about it. Genesis chapter one and two, he just, God says, let there be light, chapter one. And there was light in the very next verse. He says it and then it happens. Wow. Genesis chapter three, verse 15, after they sin, he says, I promise I'm sending a redeemer who will one day, he basically is saying, there's gonna be someone who's gonna make a way for you to be in relationship with God again, and it's gonna require forgiveness. But let me tell you, it's not found in the next verse. It's this really long journey. And that story of the Old Testament is not a story of a bunch of people seeking after God. It's a bunch of people realizing that they don't and God forgiving them anyways. The story of the Old Testament is a, a story of God seeking after people when they don't deserve it. If you're someone that when you think about sin, missing the mark of standard of perfection, if you think that God wants to run away from you, can I tell you that's bad theology. Chapter three, verse nine, it says this, that when we hid from God, God continued to move towards us. Why? Because every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Do I need to get specific? An abortion can be forgiven. Infidelity can be forgiven. Self-hatred can be forgiven. Porn addiction can be forgiven. Drug abuse 
the way you shout at your spouse, the fact that you hit your kids, I mean, like, can be forgiven. But I also have to say this, bad things, those are bad things, but bad things shouldn't just be wiped clean, (laughs) which is why it's really good news that although God is loving, he's also just, and he doesn't ignore sin, he deals with it. Sin is not ignored in forgiveness. It's absorbed in forgiveness. Someone has to take it. How do I know? Because have you ever said the phrase, I forgive you? And then they go off and seem to rise up and you're just stuck there. Anyone else? Have you noticed when you die to yourself and you look at someone and look a whole lot like Jesus and you look at them and go, I forgive you? when they don't deserve it at all. Have you noticed that when you die to self, they rise? It's precisely what God has done in us. The power of forgiveness is that the consequence of our sin is taken out on someone else. And we know what the consequence of sin is, right? Romans, the consequence of sin is, way to say that so enthusiastically. (laughs) And what is death? Well, death wasn't in chapters one and two of Genesis. It says that they were made from dust in Genesis chapter two, but it was um, chapter three after the sin issue, the consequence of sin that it says, from dust you came and dust you shall return. The consequence was physical death, but also a spiritual death. And this is the shockingest part for me. Shockingest, is that, that, doesn't matter. Wow, shocking, okay. (laughs) The the, the shockingest part for me, I'm not saying in a sentence. The part that shocks me the most is spiritual death. It's this. You know what we deserve for our sin? And sin is what? Missing the mark. I even like the way that someone recently told me missing the mark. They say it's like an arrow. Um, It's an archery word, right? There's like a perfect standard, an archery word. A sin is actually just an archery word. It's like you missed it. You didn't hit the perfect. But then what is the perfect standard God says? I mean, not only is it the sins that are really obvious, you know what else it is? Not just sins of uh, commission, the things you do. It's also sins of omission, the things you haven't done. For instance, God tells us what his perfect target is when he says, here's the 10 commandments. Here's to live free. Here's how to live a part of my kingdom. Love God, love others. So anytime we don't, you wanna know what we deserve? To be very far from a holy and perfect God who is love. We deserve to be very far and distant. So the wages of sin is death means this. We deserve to be very far from a holy and a perfect God because we are filthy and he is pure. And those two things don't mix. So how did forgiveness work? How does it actually work? I really like the way David Platt writes about it because it's shocking. It's not just a physical death because Jesus knew that in order for you to be forgiven, the consequence would be death has to be paid. So he died on your behalf, but it wasn't just the physical death that was taken care of. Because again, if you do put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, suddenly death is not the end of your story either. It's the beginning of life with him for forever. But what else happened on the cross? Because it wasn't just physical death. We talked about the spiritual one. David Platt writes this, and I'm even gonna encourage a few of you. If you're in right now, just close your eyes and receive. It's gonna take about two or three minutes, but it's shocking. He writes this. We're not saved from our sins because Jesus was falsely tried by Jewish and Roman officials and sentenced by Pilate to die. 
Neither are we saved from our sins because Roman persecutors thrust nails into the hands and feet of Christ and hung him on a cross. Do we really think that the false judgment of men heaped upon Christ would pay the debt for all of humankind's sin? Do we really think that a crown of thorns and whips and nails and a wooden cross and all the other facets of the crucifixion that we glamorize are powerful enough to to save us? Picture Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where he's at before he goes to the cross. As he kneels before his father, drops of sweat and blood fall together from his forehead. Why is he in such agony and pain? The answer is not because he was afraid of crucifixion. He is not trembling because of what the Roman soldiers are about to do to him. Since that day, countless men and women in history of Christianity have died for their faith. Some of them were not just hung on crosses, they were burned there. Many of them went to their crosses singing. One Christian in India, while being skinned alive for his faith, looked at his persecutors and said, I thank you for this. Tear off my old garment, for I will soon put on Christ's garment of righteousness. As he prepared to take his execution, Christopher Love wrote a note to his wife saying, today they will sever me from my physical head, but they cannot sever me from my spiritual head. That is Christ. As he walked to his death, his wife applauded while he sang of glory. Did these men and women in Christian history have more courage than Jesus Christ himself? Why in the world was he trembling in that garden, weeping and full of anguish? We can rest assured that he was not a coward about to face Roman soldiers. Instead, he was a savior about to endure divine wrath. Listen to his words. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The cup is not a reference to a wooden cross. It is a reference to divine judgment. It is the cup of God's wrath. This is what Jesus is recoiling from in the garden. All God's holy wrath and hatred towards sin and sinners, the big sins, the small sins, the hatred of all of it, stored up since the beginning of the world. And it's all about to be poured out on him. And Jesus is sweating blood at the thought of it. What happened at the cross was not primarily about nails being thrust into Jesus's hands and feet, but about the wrath, do your sin and my sin being thrust upon his soul. In that holy moment, all the righteous wrath and justice of God do us came down like a rushing, like a torrent on Christ himself. Some say God looked down and could not bear to see the suffering that the soldiers were inflicting on Jesus, so he turned away, but this is not true. God turned away because he could not bear to see your sin and my sin on his son. One preacher described it like this. It's as if you and I were standing a short hundred yards away from a dam of water, 10,000 miles high and 10,000 miles wide. All of a sudden that dam was breached and a torrential flood of water came crashing toward us. And right before it reached our feet, the ground in front of us opened up and swallowed it all at the cross. Christ drank the full cup of the wrath of God. And when he had downed the last drop, he took the cup over and cried out, it is finished. This is the gospel the just and loving creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, God in the flesh, 
to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who trust in him can be reconciled to God for forever. And all the church said, amen. Amen. The wages of our sin is death. On the cross, Jesus experienced for the very first time in his whole life Mind you, keep in mind up to this point, he had existed in perfect unity and relationship in a loving, romantic relationship with God the Father. Perfect unity of the Trinity. That's all he had ever known. And for the very first time, he then experienced life without God so that all who believe would never have to. Oh, Jesus. So that you would never so that you would know that nothing keeps you from them. Some of you feel like you've just messed up too bad. You can't. You can't outsend the cross. You can't. And you don't have to do any of it alone. And then he calls you to forgive other people, which is really hard, isn't it? He's calling us to absorb it for others, for the sake of others, to die to ourselves, so they can rise. Friends, I've experienced that. It is painful to forgive. It is costly to forgive. And I wonder if some of you need to, not just so that they can rise, but so that you can look more like Jesus through it. He doesn't want you just to know about forgiveness. He wants you to know what it's like to live into it and then give it away as freely as it's been received. I wonder if some of you, the very specific thing is it's time. This is time. Today's the day to forgive. Oh, not because they deserve it, but because you recognize you never did. So first, forgivable sins turns out all. Second, a word and power, the power of forgiveness. Wow. And then we come to this paradox where on one hand, God's enormously willing to forgive everything. And on the other, people can put themselves beyond God's power to forgive them. How does that work? And this is where we get to the unforgivable sin. Are you ready? Verse 31, look with me. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, you can literally speak against Jesus. That will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. How in the world does this work? It feels like a contradiction. Go back to verse 31. Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Shouldn't it say something like in between these two words, because they were right here. And so I tell you, shouldn't we put the word like almost Every, right? Wouldn't that feel like that makes someone more true? And so I tell you, almost every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Or maybe, maybe we could reword it like this. Um, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander will be forgiven except this one, semicolon. That feels like it would make more sense, right? It's purposeful. What he's done right here is purposeful because they're not actually saying contradictory things, not quite, but you have to pay attention. Put your thinking caps on, seriously, if you need a moment. to, I'll put it on by myself up here. That's what I'll do. Thank you. Thank you, guy. Thank you. The pastor does it, of course. So humble. Oh, looks like Christ. Okay. Here we go. 
It's not a contradiction. If, and this is, I got some help from some commentaries because I'll be honest with you, I walked into this passage going like, I don't get it and I want to skip over it too. (laughs) But here's the thing, it's been shocking and I hope you get it. Ready? It's not a contradiction if you read the first half of the verse externally and the second half of the verse internally. Let me explain. Externally, every kind of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Every external action, every thought, word, deed, attitude, anything that goes against God's perfect standard is forgivable. The Bible says this everywhere. First John 1, 9, if, you're, uh, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And he doesn't just say it with scriptures like that. He also says it with the lives of people who don't deserve it. Remember Paul, he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. And then guess what? Forgiven. Or how about David. I always laugh. I always laugh in like children's ministry wings when, you know, they're like teaching all the kids like, oh, I remember David and Goliath. Like he was so brave. Be brave like David. Just don't read the rest of the story. (laughs) Right? Some of us know David and Goliath. What you don't know is that after that, he found himself lustfully watching over a woman and then ends up having her husband killed in order to have him for himself. Don't keep reading. You should keep reading because guess what happens to David? Forgiven. And when he's forgiven and he sees the power of it, that's when he becomes a man after God's own heart. And here's what you find in the book of Psalms is you find that nothing's off limits for God. And he suddenly stops doing life alone, even if it's his anger. I mean, he says some crazy stuff in there. All external sins can be forgiven. The second half, internally, if you resist the work of the Holy Spirit to lead you to repentance, not only is that unforgivable, so is all of the rest. Let me explain. John 16, 8 tells us that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit has come into the world to convince the world of sin. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, when you hear this concept and you go, what in the world, what kind of sin is that? And all you can think is this really dark and heinous type of sin. Like, what is this thing? I'll tell you this. Here's what it is. It is resisting the power of the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to get you to say without hopelessness, anger, or blame shifting, I was wrong. There is forgiveness for everything. If led by the Holy Spirit, you repent. There's a remedy and forgiveness for nothing. If you don't internally, If you deny, blaspheme the power of the Holy Spirit, and maybe what that looks like is you think you just have to fix yourself to remedy your sin. And so you deny the Spirit's power or allowing you to go that to God, and then you simply say things that are crazy like this one. I've heard this so often. They go, I know God forgives me for my sins, but I just can't forgive myself. Can I tell you, whose standard have you diminished in that statement? God's standard is perfection. Yours is just trying to be good enough. The power of the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, shows us who Jesus is, and then leads us in the right direction. If you deny that power, you won't be forgiven by him. That's what the Spirit's job is. But if you allow the Spirit to bring you to him, you'll be forgiven for all of it. All of it. Externally, you can be forgiven for all of it. Internally, if you deny the Holy Spirit, the means by which God leads you to repentance, 
you won't be forgiven for any of it. Do you get it? The Holy Spirit reveals God as the forgiving Messiah, which is what makes sense of the context of Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. It starts with God being revealed. That's why I paused throughout the first reading. There's the Spirit. There's the Spirit. There's the Spirit. The Spirit is bringing to mind to some Pharisees. It's the Spirit of God that forgives. It's the Spirit of God. It's not your law. It's not your law. It's the Spirit of God. It's not you being good enough. It's it's understanding that you're not. Let the Spirit convict. Let the Spirit convict. Bring it to repentance, because if you bring it to repentance, you'll find forgiveness in your time of need. Let the Spirit do his thing. But what happened was they went like this. No, I don't need that. I can be good enough. And if you do not allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to repentance, if you deny his power, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven for any of it. And the consequence of that is life without God. And I have really good news. Do you want it? Just wanted that one to sink in a little longer before I gave you the good news so that the good news, it's like almost like the bad news makes the good news gooder, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gooder, yeah. I speak good. <laughs> oh, Here's the really good news. He, this is in Corinthians, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Let me explain what that means. The technical theological term for that is double imputation with an I. I understood from a young age that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Boom. My sin imputed onto the cross of Christ. The wrath of God poured out for sin for all time, past, present, and future. And if that's the case, the moment you put your faith and trust, not in your ability to get to God on your own, but trust by the prompting of the Holy Spirit of God's ability to save by the power of the cross, here's the truth. The Spirit has moved in you. You have said yes. Here's really good news for you. You are fully forgiven for all of it. Already. So let me tell you something else. Ready? All of it. Let the Spirit move, all of it. You don't have to hide it. There's consequence of it. But sometimes that consequence is good. Because then there's a, God will use that. He'll use all of it. But he wants to forgive you for all of it. But remember how I said not just one imputation, but double He who knew no sin became sin. Boom. Your sin is imputed onto the cross of Christ in the moment you believe, which is a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you squash it, not for you. The moment you believe, you are forgiven for all of it, fully forgiven. And I believe one day you will stand before God and he will see all of you, all of you. And he will love you completely, all of you, knowing all of you completely. And you'll be fully forgiven for all of it, completely. And you will be with him. You will not experience the consequence of your sin there. Hallelujah. But I said double. See, not only did he take that which we deserve. See, he came to earth. Why? Because we couldn't get to God. God came to us. He lived the life we couldn't, died the death we deserve, and then rose to give us life in him, right? So if that's the case, that he rose from the grave, then here's what it says. He who knew no sin became sin, my sin imputed unto him, that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness means right relationship with God. Remember the wages of our sin? Not 
Wages of our sin is death. Jesus took that which we deserve. We, by grace, through faith, receive that which he deserved, which is a perfect intimacy with the heavenly father. Not just one, way when, not just one day when we get to heaven, but also here and now. See, if he took that which we deserve, that makes us fully forgiven. If he gives us, by grace, through faith, that which he deserves, that makes us fully accepted already. I said this to the ladies last night, and I just have to because I love it so much. One day, God will be seated on the throne. Well, he is right now. But one day we will see him. And the author of Hebrews says that we will approach that throne of grace. Why is it of grace? Because the Holy Spirit made a way when there was no way. And we will approach that throne. Do you know what the word next word is? Confidently. Ladies in here, any of you guys struggle with confidence? It's probably because we're trying to find it in ourselves. It says this, we can approach that throne. And when I think of the throne, I go to Revelation, I go to Isaiah, and I got the throne, I got the elders, I got them seated, and they're all going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's lots of choruses, and Phil Wickham's hymn of heaven is already there. And we're all like, it's all happening. And it's like, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then someone looks at it, and they're like, one more time for sure. And then they just keep doing it forever and ever and ever. And amen. And what Revelation says is he's controlling lightning. His whole being is like ruby. I wonder about the sword and the tattoo, like all the things. And he's ruling on that throne. And he's up there and he's powerful. And then what Hebrew says is this. You're going to approach that one day like this. <laughs> Confidently. How? If you have allowed the Holy Spirit to bring you to him to say, I need you. I can't get there on my own. Because if you were trying to get there on your own, trust me, you would not walk up that confident. You, you wouldn't look confident. And the reason you're confident is not because you're walking up with your resume. The Spirit has prompted you to say, your resume says not enough. Your resume says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't do this on my own. So the Holy Spirit does what? It convicts us to repent. See, we will approach that throne confidently because we're not holding out our resume and all the good deeds we've done that make us earn a way to be there. No, with one sin, we all fall short. So instead, the reason we walk confidently is because we are in him prompted by the Holy Spirit. If you deny it, you're forgiven for none of it. If you accept it, all of it is washed clean. You approach with his resume. I am in him. He is in me. The hope of glory lives within me. And that's the spirit at work within you. So I also have to say, the only thing that scared me about this passage is that it's written to a bunch of Pharisees. And every there's multiple times the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is written and it's always written to Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious folk. <laughs> and that's where it gets a little scary to me. It's kind of like when you get to the Matthew 7, which Larry preached a few months slash years ago. <laughs> where the whole like many, many, and that term many terrifies me. Many will say on that day, didn't we do all these things for you? And God will say, away from me, I just didn't know you. That's scary to me. It's scary to me that he's talking to a bunch of people who think that they're saved. I don't say this to terrify you. I just have to bring up the facts. That there's people that think that they're saved. And I just want to say this. Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit? Don't let anything distract in this moment. It would be a miss. Do you know the Holy Spirit's power to save? Do you know the Spirit of God? Do you know that he dwells within you? Or you just felt the burden of your faith and trying to be good enough? Do you feel the burden of your own sanctification? 
the Holy Spirit saves. In fact, my, my little seven-year-old became a Christian a year ago. And I constantly, I'll be honest with you, before like studying the Holy Spirit and what his role is, I used to say a lot more. I used to say a lot more. I still say it sometimes, but I'll, I'd say some stuff like this. Just be nice. <laughs> be kind, you know, moms. <laughs> what am I doing in that moment? I'm saying like, fix yourself. And here's the good news. Because the Spirit of God lives in him, he doesn't have to. And he's not alone. So now I always reference, the Spirit of God is in you and he's powerful. He's leading you to repentance. That's a good thing. I'm not just gonna tell you to squash your sin and try to figure it out on your own anymore when the Spirit of God lives in you. And I wonder if there's people here that you just don't know what it even means to have the Spirit of God. You just heard you're supposed to ask God for forgiveness one time and some magical prayer. I wanna tell you this, he doesn't just leave you alone. Jesus promised at the end of Matthew, we'll get there in a few years, that same joke, same joke, and it still works, same joke. Matthew chapter 28, he's gonna say this, here's my plan A for the world and saving of it, it's you. And I'm gonna be with you always. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit, the comforter, to be with you always. And that's the promise, that's the deposit, that's the first fruit, that's the thing that he gives us in the meantime until we get to be with him forever. But I gotta say this, I have a word of assurance for all of you who are a little bit nervous right now. (laughs) If you're afraid you've committed this unpardonable sin, you haven't. Because the worry that you feel that I might have missed God. I don't have the Holy Spirit and I want him. I don't want to miss him. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that. So I'll never say this in any other sermon. Celebrate your anxiety today. (laughs) We have a God of grace that's so powerful that your anxiety, worry about missing him, is a sign that he's actually working. (laughs) Let it lead you to a really important conversation with someone here today. Don't leave without the gift of the people around you. Because the truth is, it's not about how much faith we have or don't have. It's about the object of it. And I'll end with this story. It's a great one. D.A. Carson wrote a made-up story (laughs) um, about two Jewish men on the day before Passover. Quick context. Passover took place. You can play the keyboard. I'm cool with that, unless it falls over and makes loud sound. Um, (laughs) There it is. In Exodus, God brought plagues upon Egyptians as judgment. And he said, one more was coming, one more plague, and it was going to be the death of the firstborn son. And God tells Moses to tell the Israelites to take a lamb without blemish and put its blood on the two doorposts on your home. And when you see, when I see that, I will pass over. That's where it got the name. I will pass over your house and that final plague will not come on you. So he gives specific instructions. Eat the Passover meal, pack and get ready for tomorrow and kill the lamb and put the blood on the two doorposts and I'll pass over. So D.A. Carson writes this imaginary story of two Jews having a conversation about it that night. One says, hey, aren't you kind of nervous about what's going to happen tonight? The other confident one says, nah, God promised through Moses, we're going to be fine. You don't have to be nervous. You put the blood on the doorpost. You had the Passover meal. You packed and ready, right? The nervous guy goes, of course I did. I'm not stupid. (laughs) It's still scary though, right? I mean, we've seen some scary stuff on these plagues. In this last plague, the death of the firstborn son you have three stones. I only have one. 
Of course I put the blood on the door. I'm not an idiot, but I'm terrified. The confident one says, bring it on. I trust in the promises of God. D.A. Carson asked, which of these two fathers lost their son that night? The answer is neither. Both of them demonstrated faith. One had small faith and one had confident faith. And thanks be to God, it's not the size of our faith that matters, but the object of it. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us, leading us to repentance. And if we need to deal with some stuff today, would we not leave this place? It's also leading us to saving faith. So if there's someone in this room that does not know what it is to live life with you by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that they would not leave this place without it. And I thank you for the reminder of your sacrifice that made relationship possible. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. And all God's children said, amen. Do you think Megan? Um, So in a few moments, we're actually going to participate in the new Passover, the new covenant, and as a remembrance of that. And uh, we're also going to respond then in worship. And there's two things when it comes to worship that are synonymous. You can't have one without the other. You, You have grace or our salvation through grace, and then you have worship. And they cause one another. You can't, you can't have one without the other. It, it's a cause and effect. It's similar to you can't breathe out unless you have breathed in. And you can't breathe in unless you have breathed out. They go together. Worship, our worship, and grace. And in just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to remember and to tangibly experience the grace of God through Jesus and his sacrifice. And then after we breathe that in, we're going to have the opportunity to breathe out worship. It's cause and effect. We get to come to the table and everyone is invited. And I hope that is not lost on you. I hope that is not lost on us. I hope we haven't been to church enough and sang enough songs to just not even realize and just to have this behavioral conformity that this is just what we do. It's just communion. I take this and I move on. I hope that's not lost on us. That literally we are still knocked back, blown away that the God of the universe, the King of Kings came down onto earth and then he set a table and he invited you to the table in the presence of your enemies he says, come and take and eat and drink. You will not thirst. You will not hunger. And so we get to remember that. And so in just a few moments, you're invited to the table. Uh, Around the room here, there's um, cups that have juice in it. And just underneath that is some gluten-free bread. (laughs) I'll make sure you know that. And you're going to get to stand up um, as we worship together. And go, and whether you go with someone in your family or that you came with or you go by yourself, you're going to get to go there and you're going to have your own intimate time to breathe in, remember, as he asks us to do, the grace of God. And then we're going to stand up and we're going to say his name. We're going to worship who he is as we breathe that out. His name, Adonai, 
Elohim, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Yahweh, Jesus, because of what you did. If you're here and uh, you're not sure about communion, like what you do in this moment, it's okay. No one's judging you. No one's looking to see who's staying seated and who's not. This is your own time to just maybe question the Holy Spirit. Ask, what's actually going on? What's happening in me? Am I ready to step into this? And you can have your own space. So after I pray, I'm going to ask you actually to stand up then and then go and start beginning to take the elements and then breathe out your worship. Father God, the great I am, El Shaddai, Elohim, Yahweh. Thank you for this cup and the new covenant as you pass over all, all of our things, our sins. God, thank you for your body that proves to us that you came and your cup, why you came. We love you and your name we pray. Amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.